Hello, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson alongside Dave Matter, who joins us from the Columbia Bureau, and we're here to break down a Mizzou football bye week and maybe touch on some Tigers hoops as well. Dave, I, I want to start out with just right away their impressions of the South Carolina win. Uh, we had talked a lot about this being something that, you know, Missouri needed to make a statement in, uh, learn from the Wyoming game, and, and we knew adversity was going to happen. It was all about how the Tigers responded. I think we, we have to give them an A in terms of uh, how they graded out on that test. Yeah, absolutely. I, this was a really unique win for Barry Odom because it was one of the few times they were not very good offensively and still won convincingly. You know, this was, if you want to break down the stats, it's the first time under Barry that they averaged fewer than five yards per play and still won. Um, it had been since going, oddly enough, the last time that happened in Missouri, that they won a game when they were that bad offensively was the BYU game. Um, you know, after the protest, Drew Locke um, played okay out in Kansas City. Uh, and then before that, it was the 2010 win over Oklahoma. College game day was there. So this has been rare for Missouri, even before Barry Odom, to win a game like this when you're not at your best offensively. They turned it over twice. Kelly Bryant had his worst day as a passer. Best day as a rusher, but worst day as a passer. Um, but it didn't really even matter because the defense was so good. Deep when, and on top of just playing, you know, shut down run defense pretty much the whole game they scored two touchdowns on defense so um they'll take that kind of performance all the time because um you know that, that was a, a sign that that wyoming game how they played defensively was probably a bit more of an outlier than it was a trend because they've been really good since then on, on that side of the ball yeah i mean there it, it has been fair at times to ask when is barry odom's defense going to reflect a defensive coordinator who got a head coaching job and this game was one where you could say okay I see that, and Wyoming was not one. So I want to kind of get, break this down into compartments a little bit. That first of all, the turnovers—that's um, something that you know Missouri talked a lot about this off season, this fall, this spring, and and they weren't there in game one, but they've been there ever since. And now they're they're not just creating turnovers; they're 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 finding ways to turn them into touchdowns. I thought it was remarkable that Kale Garrett had the the kind of the the intuitiveness to jump on that ball. In the end zone, you also have the touch or the interception return for the touchdown. Is this just a matter of that message finally finally clicking? Um, I know some of it's luck, but you have to put yourself in position to, to make those kind of plays and have the the quick thinking the quick thinking action to say, okay, let's let's try to make this happen, even if it even if it doesn't turn into a touchdown by jumping on this football that's on the ground. Yeah, a lot of it is luck, but but a lot of it, is, like you said, is just capitalizing on those opportunities. I mean, you know, Missouri's had plenty of games where you know, they had a chance to make a turnover or even, you know, score on defense. And they just either dropped the interception or they couldn't get to the pile quick enough or they didn't make that alert play like Kale Garrett did. But right now they're they're finishing those plays. Um, you know, the, the interception and 100-yard and return that Ronnell Perkins had, what great play by him, um, great call by Ryan Walters. He had everybody in position. If, if Perkins doesn't pick that off, Kale Garrett picks it off. That's how many – that's how well-positioned they were – on that play now now Garrett said after the game there's no way he's chugging 100 yards he said he made a might have made it 30 but even still it's a huge swing in momentum a, a huge defensive play the the uh, the pickup that Garrett made um there's not many 
players in college football that would have been so alert to grab that. And you can read his lips when he got it. He, he was saying instantly, review that, review that. It's a touchdown. No one else in the stadium really had any idea. I mean, the officials were right there. They didn't even know what down it was. They, they announced third down after that when it should have been second. Um, so, yeah, it was a great heads-up play by him. And, uh, you know, that's just the way this defense has, has played lately. They're taking advantage of opportunities uh, that are presented to them and then capitalizing on that's That's what defense is all about. The other thing, too, is just the, the pressure. Um, you know, tackles for loss, sacks were non-existent in week one, and now we're seeing – you know, sacks. We're seeing quarterbacks have to step off for a series because they get rattled, and and we're seeing you know plays behind the line of scrimmage. Clearly, this defense had it in it, um, but what have they done to kind of turn that up a notch? Because that's that's how they've Missouri defenses have played where they've been successful. It's not just been hey, stop the run and lock down passing. It's been create chaos in the backfield, and it seems like they're moving toward toward getting some of that. Yeah, and these guys are playing better. Chris Turner is making plays for the first time. Trey Williams is making some plays. Even when they're not getting sacks, they're getting pressures, they're getting hurries, and that's been really important. They've been really good up the middle with Jordan Elliott and Kobe Whiteside. And, um, you know, I went back and watched all the third-down pass plays South Carolina had, and Missouri blitzed early, but then as the game went on, they stopped blitzing. They just rushed with four. And I asked Ryan Walters, defensive coordinator, about that on Tuesday. And he said, you know, we, we have the reputation as a, as a heavy pressure team. We will bring pressure on third down to the point now where they can kind of fake those, those linebacker blitz um, and show blitz right before the snap and still keep, drop those guys back so they're just rushing four. But the, but the quarterback still responds like he's under pressure because he's expecting it so much. But the, the luxury is then, then you've got seven guys in coverage uh, and still have the effect of a blitz or um, heavy pressure. So that's that's a sign of one a really smart defense. They they know how to um, you know kind of dictate things like that. And and then two just you know it's it's gotten to be really effective and they've gotten a reputation and it's really paying off for them. So um, that's not to say this is going to work every game. You know they're not going to play a, a true freshman quarterback every week like they did against South Carolina. But we saw what that guy could do against Alabama and he kind of dinked and dunked his way up and down the field against Crimson Tide, and he had no success against Missouri other than one play coming out of halftime. So I thought it was a real step in the right direction for this defense. Yeah, I think, and then, and then just the team in general of, of, of taking mistakes and, and responding to them the right way. I mean, you have that first drive, they get stalled at the goal line, and, and that's kind of that feeling of, oh, here they go again, and they find a way immediately to make a big play that erases it. And, and you're right, I mean, look at what South Carolina did against Alabama, and this becomes more impressive. This is the largest margin of victory at home against an SEC opponent by, by Missouri, 20 points since beating Tennessee back in 2017. And that was a you know that was a lame duck Tennessee team that did not have the kind of uh, the season in front of it that South Carolina could have. Um, South Carolina plays a tough schedule, but they're not quite into the thick of it yet. It doesn't get any easier for the Gamecocks uh, after after this one. And and you look ahead and look at this SEC East, Dave, and. On a bye week, we can we can span out a little bit, and it, it's kind of crazy because here's Missouri with a loss to Wyoming in in week one that kind of soured things for some people. But when you look forward, that everything Missouri season could be is still there, um, and it's probably in some ways even more on the table now as you look around and see some of the some of the injuries that teams in the division have had. We said going into this season that Missouri should be in contention to be that second best team behind Georgia. And now it looks very much like it could be the case. Felipe Franks is out at Florida. Terry Wilson's out at Kentucky. 
Um, they already took care of South Carolina, and uh, that was another big one on their schedule. Vanderbilt has really struggled. Um, when you look when you look ahead here, um, you know you never say never because Missouri's shown that they can. You know you can't, you can't always trust them to have their best game, but if they do put together performances like this one, they're going to have a good feeling about where their season ends up. Yeah, absolutely. If you just look at the rest of the division, you know South Carolina plays Kentucky on Saturday. That's essentially an elimination game, not just from the division, but from relevancy. The loser is going to be 0-3 in the SEC. So, you know, count them out, whoever loses that game. Even the winner is still just 1-2 and, 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 you know, not sitting in a very good spot. Uh, at, at this point, I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, Georgia is obviously the headliner. Um, but, and Missouri and Florida, I think, are right there, neck and neck behind them. But you look at Florida's schedule before they play Missouri, and that game's not till November 16th in Columbia. Florida gets Auburn at home, then they have to go to LSU back-to-back weeks against two unbeaten teams. Then they go to South Carolina, they have a bye, and then they get uh, Georgia in uh, in Jacksonville. So they've got three team, three games against top ten teams before they face Missouri. Um, obviously, Missouri doesn't have that kind of schedule ahead of them. They, they go to Georgia, but everything else you know, before then, heck, they've got two buys before then. Um, is is pretty smooth sailing. So Missouri's in a really good spot. Uh, you're never going to erase that Wyoming game, but the way they're playing right now and and the way the division sets up, they are in in really good position. Maybe just maybe uh you know, Missouri fans should be rooting for a little dusting of snow, early dusting of snow in that game against Florida where the Gators yeah. have to come. Um, the Florida media always treats the trip to Missouri like it's uh, going to the North Pole. So maybe the conditions could yeah. uh, could could match a little bit. How close is this Missouri team to being ranked, Dave? You think if it will take a win against Kentucky for them to climb into the top twenty-five and shake off that Wyoming loss? Yeah, that's that's the the, the kind of the catch twenty-two of their schedule. Yeah, it's very manageable, but they don't really have a game in the next month that's going to really wow the voters. The only thing that will it would be their record. Now, if they're sitting there at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and one. Yeah, and and it's at some game, some point when you're filling out that ballot, it's kind of a process of elimination. You got a, it might have a seven on one team there, and then a bunch of two loss teams. Well, you give the one loss team the benefit of the doubt. Right now, they're on, I think they're on four or five ballots out of sixty-five. So a few people are noticing, but it you know it's just kind of hard when you've got teams like Texas A&M who haven't beaten anybody, but they've lost to two top ten teams. Well, they're they're kind of getting the benefit of the doubt in the rankings right now. You see the same with Michigan. Um, but it's easy to say Missouri's playing better than those teams have right now. They just don't have the the benefit of having, you know, great teams on their schedule so far. I thought the uh, one of the quotes that jumped out to me was from Tristan Colon Castillo, who said, "I think we're a completely different team. You look at the last couple of years, we would get up on a team and let them come back, whether it was offense or defense. Something fell through. I think that would also apply to Week One." Um, so he also said, yeah. "Today we are, came together as a team and we made a statement. That's not us anymore. We're a new team, and that's kind of uh, they can say something like that after the way they played against South Carolina. Now it becomes a stronger statement if they continue to do it, but." Um, if this Missouri team is not shooting itself in the foot, it's going to win a lot of football games, and it's going to end this season in a way that uh, that not that leaves people not talking about Wyoming, but the way the the season went as a whole. So it's right there in front of them. They did make a statement, and some of this will depend on what kind of game they could be playing in at the end of the season. With the bye week, it's kind of a unique chance for us to say, okay, look forward a little bit and. It seems like any day now, Missouri could be getting the news of its appeal against you know the the sanctions from the NCAA. 
Sturk has initially said it would be by the end of the month, this month, and he since said he thinks it could be early in October. Um, I know that the university gets a 24-hour heads up on the verdict. I think they'll get a little bit more time on when it's coming down the pike, some sort of ruling. But um, just how is the team kind of handling this, and what are you hearing as this seems to be moving kind of toward the fuzzy finish line here? You know, I think the players are just, they're just so consumed with the season that, you know, unless you bring it up, you just don't hear about it anymore. Um, and they're just so conditioned to being in the routine of play a game, you know, review it, get ready for the next one, play a game. And that, you know, I, I'm sure it's on their minds to some degree, but I think Barry's done a really nice job of convincing them because it's the truth that there is no sense in thinking about it at this point because it's, it's beyond their control, and that, that applies to him, too. And obviously, as a coach, you know, if they get hit with these sanctions, especially the the recruiting sanctions, um, you know, the, the scholarship sanctions, you've got to have plans. you got to be ready for that. Um, but the players don't. And, and you know, they, those players made that decision, the seniors did, back in, in the spring and the winter when they decided to stick around and not transfer. So um, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind when you're – when you're talking to the players and you know, it'll be a news story for 24 hours or so, you know, when it happens. Um, and then I think everybody will just kind of move on, um, and, and go on with the rest of the season whenever, whenever it occurs. But, uh, it is, it's out there obviously, and it's just still kind of lingering, but I don't think it's really having any impact on, on these guys on a kind of a day-to-day basis. When you look at what has happened with, Kansas and uh, you know it's clear they're going to fight back against their their fallout from the their their place in the FBI probe into corruption in college basketball you look at what has happened at Mississippi State where they had a very similar situation to Missouri's that was punished without a postseason ban are you starting to see some of what Jim Sterk talked about where he said look this is going to be a fascinating case for us because we did cooperate. We opened up the doors. We didn't lock the door and lawyer up and fight. And, you know, if, if we receive, you know, a massive punishment for this, then people are going to be saying, what's, what's the value in cooperating versus pushing back and, and saying none of this can be proven and, and going to war a little bit. I mean, it seems like we're seeing two very distinct paths here. We saw that, saw it kind of happening when Missouri, you know, announced its frustration with the punishment. We've seen it play that way since. I mean, look at what Kansas has done and basically saying, hey, we're not buying any of this and, and you know, we're going to stand behind our coach here. Um, Missouri didn't have that type of situation. It wasn't a coach involved, but they did open up the books and say, hey, you know, we're going to bring this to the table and, 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 and we're going to kind of come clean here. Uh, it seems like this is going to be two very fascinating things to watch play out in unison, especially because of the rivalry between the, the two programs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think it is it is hard to compare the two cases. For one, you know, Missouri had all of the info and they had the athletes who could have talked to the NCAA and to the investigators to say, here's what really happened. Kansas, you know, the main person involved in all of this is is this street agent, whatever you want to call him, the Adidas bag man. And, you know, Kansas, is there's no incentive for them to get him to – um, you know, talk to the NCAA. He's already been under oath with everything he has said in the FBI case. So it's it's kind of apples and oranges there. I do wonder, though, and there's no way to prove this. I guess we could, you know, get Jeff Long on the podcast, and I doubt he would come clean. I, I do wonder if some of the language Kansas used in their statement the other day, if they felt a little bit emboldened um, 
by how the Missouri case, you know, kind of unraveled? Would would there be such a harsh rebuke from Bill Self and from um, from Long had they seen how the Missouri case, you know, went about? How being cooperative obviously didn't pay off, and how Jim Sterk has been and, and Barry Odom last year when this came out, or, or back in January, um, how combative they were to the response. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. You wonder how much influence there is there, even though the cases are so different. I do think Kansas fans, if Missouri can teach them anything, it's buckle up. This is going to take forever. I mean, there's going to be, um, the, the investigation process itself is going to take a long time. Then the deliberations with the, um, with the committee on infractions and then whatever appeals process happens. And then I, I don't see any resolution to this within a year or two by any means this is going to take forever well it's better for kansas if it plays out longer because then you've got you know bill self continuing to coach and he might not get the top level of recruits that they're used to but they'll still get very good players and they'll win a bunch of games and you know bill self's going to have to move on at some point um not just for this but for any reason so better to delay 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 if you're kansas there and and that kind of leads us to another quick topic before we shift maybe to basketball um just uh kind of your thoughts after getting a chance to meet with the team this week caleb love cbc star here in st louis he was interested in kansas they one of the top four along with mizzou north carolina and louisville he said this week that kansas is now out he's picking between north carolina and missouri you have to wonder in part if kansas uh, popping up in some of this is at all affected that um sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't kind of depends on the kid and how much he pays attention to that kind of thing but now it's between roy williams and and conzo martin Uh, dave i know that the national view is that look this is a a matter of of caleb loves going to north carolina it's just a matter of time here um i think it is you know it's good that that conzo martin has fought tooth and nail to stay in this thing and we'll see which way it plays out what's the vibe like in uh in columbia kind of about caleb love and, and i guess the uh the, the chance that Missouri might land him from St. Louis as opposed to the to the Tar Heels? Well, nothing's over until it's over, and I, I think Conzo and his staff deserve credit for sticking around as long as they have. I mean, weeks ago, months ago, nobody thought Missouri was a serious player in in this kid's decision at all. So um, that was probably underrated. You know, Missouri's efforts and, and their staying power in this process was probably underrated by everybody you know, outside of the program. Um, so this is whatever Caleb Love decides. This continues to be progress for a program that was um, completely irrelevant in these kinds of decisions, you know, for a long time, whether we're talking, you know, Jason Tatum or Bradley Beal or all the other really high-profile players to come out of St. Louis. Um, Missouri is now on their radar, and they're pretty high on the radar. You, you look at you know, E.J. Liddell had a serious decision to make before he chose Ohio State. Terrell Ramey was considering Missouri down to the wire. Now, you don't get points for second place. There's, it's not like Conzo's going to get a trophy for finishing second to all these guys. But second's a lot better than finishing nowhere. So there's obvious progress is being made. And it's not like Missouri doesn't have St. Louis players on the team, St. Louis area, when you look at Tillman and Mark Smith and Javon Pickett and Mario McKinney. Um, so it's, you know, continued progress no matter how it, how it goes. You'd like to see finally the team land one of these guys, um, but you know it, it takes time sometimes. And you know, there's really in college basketball, and whether we're, you know, whether we think every school out there is cheating and doing what Kansas is accused of doing is irrelevant at this point because that's 
it's it's either happening everywhere, it's happening some places, or we just don't know. Um, there's no shame in losing a recruit to North Carolina. It's like there's no shame in losing a recruit to Duke or, or, or for that matter, Kansas. Um, these are true blue blood programs that have been that way for a long time, no matter how they get their players. Um, so I, I think it's it's good that Missouri's right in this spot still down the stretch and under consideration from a, a kid that could go anywhere in the country if he really wanted to probably. Yeah, I think Conzo's yeah, approach is, look, we're going to make it tough for them to leave, and we're going to have a fighting chance. And if you do that and not enough guys, you're going to get some of them. Um, I think it'll be impossible for any coach at Missouri to land every single one of these players um, because there's some there's some true top-tier talent coming out of this area but you want to be in the mix and you want to you know you want to win some of them so that's kind of where where things stand now it wasn't that long ago where Missouri wasn't getting the the Jeremiah Tillman's the Mark Smith's and and the Javon Pickett's of the world so I think it is a I think it is a process and he's chipping away at it that's kind of his his way about it he just kind of he doesn't want a guy to be able to go somewhere else and say look the reason I, I didn't go to Missouri is because they didn't work they didn't work to get me enough or they didn't show me enough yeah. attention he's been at every open gym every game at everything he can possibly be at so if the kid goes elsewhere uh you certainly don't chalk it up to a to a lack of, of effort on the on the recruiting side so we'll see how that plays out but there is going to be a missouri basketball season whether caleb love commits or not and and you were there to talk to the team this week kind of get a feel for um the vibe around the program and and it seems like we were talking a little bit earlier not to talk out of school here but it does seem like this missouri team is quietly confident and is completely okay with the fact that not very many people outside of the program think they're going to be very good this year. Yeah, and, and they seem to get why, too. I mean, they know what their record was last year. Um, I, I think a, the prevailing thought of some of the you know national expectations, projections I've seen has been, well, this wasn't a tournament team last year, and they lost their best player in Jordan Geist. Well, best player, I don't, we can – spend all day debating that and he was their most productive player who's their leading scorer uh you you replace him though with a drew smith who i think everyone would agree has more upside you add some pieces in kobe brown and trey jackson who if you listen to all the coaches and listen to the players are going to be two impact players right away from missouri um you get an older jeremiah tillman who's now a junior and I asked him yesterday, I'm like, do you consider yourself a leader? Which is never a word anybody would ever associate with Jeremiah. And he said, absolutely, I have to be. I'm one of the oldest guys out here. Um, you get a much more mature Xavier Pinson. Um, last year, you interviewed that kid, and he would barely, barely look you in the eye and had about three words for you. Yesterday, I, he wouldn't stop talking, and he sounds like <laughs> a completely different kid. And he's another one that, that Gonzo mentioned leadership about. He said he's just so much more mature off the floor and it's really translating on the court, too. So I think they've got a chance to be much improved. I might just be, you know, sipping the Kool-Aid after listening to all the guys talk yesterday, but if you just look at parts of last season, and you look at the best of Torrance Watson, the best of Javon Pickett, the best of Jeremiah Tillman, and then you add these other pieces, and if you can get those guys to be playing more consistently, they have the makings for, I think, a pretty good team. Uh, We just haven't seen it all together yet, and there's no Porter drama there's no injuries yet, knock on wood, that can, you know, throw everything off. Um, but I I think they've got something going there. And they're going to be a much different-looking team as far as they play. I mean, Conzo said yesterday, they're going to have four guards and Tillman on the floor. And he considers Kobe Brown and Trey Jackson 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, he considers those guys guards. They might be listed as forwards on the roster. But they're going to play on the perimeter, and that's how he kind of defines whether you're a guard or a forward. 
Um, and so it's, it's going to make things look a little different, and they're kind of reacting to this new three-point line. They're going to be a dribble-drive type team and find open looks for three-point shooters, which they have a bunch of. And uh, a healthy Mark Smith is going to make a huge difference, too, because I think we forget he played, he missed the second half of the season last year after just lighting up the SEC uh, early on in, in, uh, in conference play. That's kind of the, the M.O. for him is he tends to start hot and then fizzle. He's got to have a full year for Missouri to be as good yeah. as they can be. And and I think the, the thing about this team is, you know, we – are guilty of this we cover certainly you know the big name recruits and 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 that drives the needle a lot but i think sometimes we it's not a sexy storyline to write to talk for us to talk about how much better do the guys on the team get and that's that's yeah. really what this team's going to be about i mean you look at all the guys that are returning you know how much better does does mark smith get how much better can can drew smith be after a year basically practicing with the team you know being a part of the team but but without us seeing him and play. I mean, t- Jeremiah Tillman is kind of at the make or break point where if he can't figure out a way to stay on the court and, and if his foul, you know, issues become another cloud that hangs over this team, I think Missouri is to the point where it's lack of, I wouldn't call it a lack of patience, but it's got other options now. And it can, it might not be the highest ceiling option, but the, I think they would rather say, hey, put one of these young guys out here and let them get the reps before we're hijacked by, you know, Jeremiah Tillman's foul issues. I think last year they felt like they had to put up with that because it was their best chance of winning. But I don't know that they're going to go through another season with that being such a, such a, you know, weak spot Achilles heel for this team. I think if, if, if you can't figure it out, they'll, they'll figure out a way without him. I mean, they'll play small. They'll put Kobe Brown and those guys and, and, and these other guys in there and, and, and try to figure out a way. It doesn't feel like they are as latched to Jeremiah's ups and downs as maybe they have been in the past. Yeah, and, you know, they're, you talk about playing small. Well, you can if you take Tillman out, he's 6'10", the assumption is, well, they're going to be a small lineup then. Well, Maybe it's balanced out by the fact that they've got guards who are six four, six five, and two hundred fifteen pounds. I mean, they're, I mean, they're going with this moniker, big guard. Yeah. Too. They've got big, strong guys on the perimeter. Uh, whether that's Mark Smith or Javon Pickett, um, Kobe Brown. Kobe Brown is six seven, uh, two hundred forty seven pounds, and he's not chunky. Like he is, he's a beast, and he's a high school point guard who can handle the ball out on the perimeter as a four in a, a sort of small ball lineup if you want to call it that so he he just adds a dynamic they haven't had i mean him and trey jackson essentially replaced kevin purrier who was a great soldier for the program a gritty guy um but you know he couldn't jump he wasn't very fast he wasn't a dynamic athlete and you replace him with two guys who are just that so um i think just the makeup of this team even with just a couple additions is going to be totally different and like you said i i agree i think I don't think they're going to live and die by Jeremiah Tillman's foul trouble. Now they're they're talking about things that they think they can help him avoid that. A lot of it's just psychological. Um, Conzo said yesterday it's not so much the fouls that are the problem with him. It's he has a bad series on offense where he either turns it over or misses an easy shot, and then he goes down and gets frustrated and fouls somebody. So it's not so much hey, he's not a good defensive player. Uh, or he's out of position. It's just him trying to erase what just happened and move on to the next play. When he does that, he's fine. Uh, and they're going to try to find more ways to get him moving on offense so he's not just stationed on the block and he backs his rear into somebody and he gets called for a charge. Yeah. Uh, they want him moving around and cutting uh, and being you know, an active guy inside that's really hard to, to guard. And you know, it sounds great in September, but if that works, you know, this could be, a, again, a very 
different looking kind of team. Yeah, the other thing with him is he can figure out how to – he'll look great doing this in practice, and then the game starts, and it's like it all goes out the window. So how he right, holds on exactly. to this under the pressure of, of games and, and his battles with, with referees, and that's that's going to be – that's going to be on him, but I do think he could have some some guys around him that maybe maybe in some ways it takes some pressure off him, where where it doesn't feel like he has to be out there and it doesn't feel like his world's crashing down if he has to go sit on the bench for for a couple minutes. So we'll see what they can make of the depth and and how some of these other guys take a step forward. I think is going to be the story of of their season, but they're certainly happy to be appearing in the uh, bottom depths of the SEC, and I, I think they know that they have the talent if they put it together to be to be above that um that's pretty much uh kind of the everything that's going on at, at mizzou right now dave uh other than have you have you checked in on the uh any injury updates from the uh eventful helmet race at the last football game no we haven't got a report yet on uh on president moon Choi, who, who seemed like he came up lame oh boy the yard line i feel bad for him his, uh his race against the helmet but he gave it a great effort uh you got to give him that I'm not so sure I would trust uh, Barry Odom's injury report. Those things seem to evolve during the week. Um, in between times, he tells us something is definitely going to happen, and then on Saturday it doesn't. So uh, we might have to go through the, the university's PR department <laughs> to get that update. Well, if you see him on campus with one of the rolling scooters, then uh, then we'll, uh, we'll know. But, hey, good for him that it's a bye week and he gets a chance to uh, heal up. Missouri should, uh, Missouri should not have too much trouble with Troy, but uh, we'll get more kind of into that game next week and, and look forward and i'll actually be in columbia with you for that game as well so looking forward to getting there was, was initially going to maybe be there for the south carolina game but wound up in chicago covering baseball instead so i'm excited to get a chance to see this team up close and personal and uh, keep up the great work until then and, and we'll talk here next week for dave matter i'm ben Fredrickson. this has been another edition of the on the tigers podcast just a quick reminder before we go you can subscribe you can download easy to find go to i on the tigers podcast just type it into iTunes, whatever you're using to download your podcast, or if you're going to go through the website, stltoday.com slash podcast. For Dave, I'm Ben. We'll talk to you next week.